Welcome back, friends. Just a couple of notes before we jump into today's podcast. This podcast is with Chloe from Near Austin and the Near Hacker House. As of the time of publishing this episode, the Near Hacker House in Austin has already occurred. But do not be deterred from listening. While we do cover some general information about the Hacker House, which is timeless and interesting, I believe, there is also a lot of information about Near Austin, which is a permanent program. And more interestingly, we also dive into what it means to be a community leader, some very personal and deep thoughts on the meaning of art and how to monetize it. I know, crazy ideas. So I believe this is a very entertaining and insightful episode, and I would encourage you to listen to it, even though the core event that we were meant to promote has already occurred. The way that I see it, it is a fantastic and cost-effective way to time travel. So without further ado, I'll let you enjoy today's show. Thanks so much. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast with me, AVB. Today, I've got with me Chloe. I forgot her surname. Chloe is an artist and the current lead for Near Austin. She's heavily involved and here to talk to about the Near Hacker House happening in Austin. And we share a common past in the Guilds project and a lot of interesting experiences throughout the entire new ecosystem. Welcome, Chloe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. No worries. So happy that you were able to like squeeze into the podcast. I know that you must be very busy leading up to the Hacker House. When is it starting? It's starting on Wednesday on the 8th. Yep. So that's very much uh, like tomorrow for me, two days for you. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're starting, like we're setting up tomorrow, um, getting everything ready preparing all the food, catering stuff that needs to be done, getting furniture and stuff like that. But yeah, so my like real for me, it starts tomorrow in terms of being on location. Nice. And for people that may be completely new to the concept of the near hacker houses, would you be able to give us a bit overview? I know that the first near hacker house was in Miami only a couple of weeks ago. So this is a very close second. And yeah, what can people expect? What is prepared for them? Yeah, sure. So we just released the agenda this week. It has the layout of hour to hour, what's going to be going down. And so yeah, it's like breakfast. And then most of the days we start with more technical stuff. So we have a near university developer coming in to do some intro to Rust, some near certified developer orientation style presentations. And then from there, each day has its own like theme. So we had these different tracks in mind to also include not just developers, but also marketing folks, marketers and artists as well, or creatives. So we have kind of something, a little bit of something for everyone, even though it is developer focused. We recently put out information too about the hackathon bounties. I think we have five or six different bounties. We have one from Near Foundation, Aurora, Mint Ticket, Metapool, Tonic. And I think there might be one more that I'm missing. But, but yeah, so there are bounties. Shout out to all the sponsors. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the sponsors and thanks for contributing. And it's really, I'm really glad we got to do a hackathon because in Miami, there was Activate Miami going on in the Activate Miami and Wormhole were doing a hackathon. And so the hacker house there was, it was separate on a different location. And so people were coming there and working, but there wasn't necessarily a lot of building on site. 
in Miami. And so this time, like, we're really excited because it's like the conglomerate. Of everyone's going to be there. Everyone's going to be building. We partnered up with Encode because they were already, like, managing Hackathon. So we've morphed our things together. And so, yeah, so there's going to be like lots of actual building this time around. And and then in the afternoon, it transitions more into, I think one day is more like marketing and then marketing office hours. So it's, we have some people from like the New York Foundation who will come in and talk about recruiting top talent. So like different kinds of like social media marketing. And then we'll have hours where they can stick around and be mentors to whoever's interested or whoever is part of that realm of like crypto web or interested in learning more about it. It's definitely going to be like a little bit more hands-on and yeah, hopefully just like a lot of like good mentorship. People really want to come and have that in like meaningful engagement, I think is what we learned from Miami. Since I was there, I like gleaned that knowledge from that and definitely want to bring that to the one in Austin. Nice. It sounds amazing. I just pulled up the near Hacker House Austin Medium post. It's got a lot of information. I'll make sure I share it in the notes. I really like that there are different tracks for different people. As you mentioned, there will be the development track based on developers and I guess workshops, resources, office hours. There's going to be the art track, which I think probably suits Austin very well. Maybe you can speak more a bit about that synergy between trying to make the most about the host city and the hacker house, both to get the local communities involved, to make sure that the people that go into Austin get to experience in full, not just a near event or a crypto event, but also what the city has to offer. And there is a marketing track, which is awesome. I actually got accepted into the near Miami hacker house for the marketing track, but I couldn't make it. had to fly back to Australia. But anyway, um, I'll let you jump into it. And yeah, maybe speak about the arts. I know that is an area that you've got plenty of experience as well. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, as an artist myself and living in Austin for, I think, like about six years now, whenever this position came to me about being the director of the Austin community for near, uh, that was like one of my first, like, I was really excited about like plugging into the creative community here, not only just because I'm biased like towards that, but I think like you said, it is like the lifeblood of Austin is it is definitely becoming like increasingly more like tech businessy in some ways. Like people are coming here. There's jobs, a lot of jobs like being created for those kinds of people. And that's also really exciting. But I think at the core, it's always been like the live uh, music capital and it's extremely full of like creative people in, in a variety of ways, not just visual art, but I just feel like there's this like spirit of, I don't know, it's more, it's like fluid and that kind of, as an artist, like for me, that like, that vibe is really, it really clicks for me because that's like how I feel like I operate in my life <laughs> and just adapting, like ebbing and flowing. And so like the spirit of the city, I think at, at its core is like very artistic and creative, but, but yeah, like being able to tap into those communities with the resources and, and stuff that I've been given is really, I feel really privileged to do that. And as an example, like this Friday as the night event for that's like basically near Austin is throwing the night event for Friday for the near Hacker House. And so we've decided to partner with a up-and-coming gallery that has is, has been transforming and trying to make the space more it was just a metal warehouse so they put insulation 
they're working on installing different things to make it more user-friendly in some ways, installing fans and things like that. And so, yeah, like one of the first partnerships that like it kind of just serendipitously happened was that we linked up with this gallery and they just happened to be like, oh yeah, we, what we really want to do is bring communities that wouldn't normally come together. And so for me, I was like, okay, that's, that actually really aligns with the mission because that's what we're doing too. That's what we're doing with the Hacker House. That's what we're doing just in general, like people from all different, you know, backgrounds are coming to our events and either they're curious about like blockchain there, or they know a lot about it and they're trying to build something. They're a developer, mostly like business development. Like it's just, it's all over the place. And so we were like, oh yeah, that like really aligns with our mission too. And so we've been able to partner with them, not just on this event, but we're hoping to do like more uh, demos and stuff. And they're like, oh, actually the communities that we work with are really curious about NFTs. They're really curious about putting their art, like what blockchain is and like what about crypto art and stuff. And so it just, yeah, it just grew like organically out of us having like an aligned vision on that. That's awesome. There's a, I think that integrating with the local community is really important. I know that there are some ecosystems that when technology comes in like too fast, too aggressively, there can be a lot of like resentment and clashes and they fundamentally change the nature of the city. So I guess that it's really good to bring together both those two communities and I guess just start to nurture that appreciation for the arts and the importance of creativity in a city. I read a few years ago now, but it's a really good book. I think it's called The History of Scientific Revolutions. No. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes. I can't recall the name of the author now, but he has a really interesting analysis of how the different breakthroughs in science over history, and it always comes down to having hubs usually larger cities, where you have a really weird mix of people and it really comes down to the velocity of ideas. Like how fast can different points of views like clash, connect, remix, evolve again, usually as well with like really diverse cities, people are very open-minded. So that lends itself as well to a lot of creative thinking out of the box. While technology may be technical in the writing the code bit, there's actually a surprising amount of creativity in getting to the technical solution to be implemented. Yeah, I usually come in at the stage of the product design, design thinking, lots of whiteboarding and sticky notes. And it's fascinating how that seems like uber creative and it's a very like people driven skills. But then all that literally gets translated into the final shipped code. So it's like, you can't really have one without the other. I also really aspect that each near hub for Miami and Austin can really highlight something unique to the city and use that to their advantage. I don't know how involved they are, but my understanding is that the very, the Miami hacker house has the minority programmers group and mm-hmm. they're really active and they're organizing a bunch of stuff and it seems weird because I don't think that like Hispanics are particularly a minority in Miami, but you can see how in the industry, it's definitely underrepresented. So it's just fascinating to be able to have that CD drive that and to extend opportunities to people locally. I guess that if we go through a list of cities, we could probably start identifying different cities and like different strengths they bring to the table. Some may be university towns, so maybe younger populations, so maybe industrial hubs. Yeah, it, it it is. I don't know. I think that's what is like exciting to me about it is just like 
getting to make basically just highlighting almost like things that are already there, but then educating on weight, like people that want to learn or are interested in like being part of the community and like what they bring and forming these like mutually ben beneficial, like symbiotic relationships with them is really, it's just really cool to me. And I, I never really viewed myself as a, I never like thought about what a community builder like even really meant until now. Cause I, I mean, I think I've always been, somebody's been doing it, but I just didn't, it wasn't my like official title or something, but I definitely feel like even forming relationships with people is like an art form. It's creative. It's a science and an art. What? It's both a science and an art. Like I've been reading yeah. books recently about like human behavioral psychology and all this like different, like weird patterns that we have and. It's right. really interesting. Yeah. And it's, you're saying too, like with the processes that you go through that are very creative and then it gets transcribed like down to like code, but it's kind of the same thing. I think even with art too, like I saw something on Facebook of this artist that I knew like from my childhood and he had posted this huge mural that he made and it was really cool. It was like this black and white, like super graphic, super detailed mural. And he put in the post, he wrote it, it was like 10% creativity and 90% work. <laughs> and it was, and it like looking at it, you wouldn't really think about that. It was so like detailed, dynamic, and there was all these like different style, like graphic styles fused. But he was like, I really, he looked interesting how I, I planned out what it was going to be. And that was the only creative part. The rest was just executed. <laughs> And I was like, oh I mean, my gosh, that's so accurate. <laughs> it makes total sense. I think that's what differences like the dreamers from the doers. Even if we go to the most extreme example, like children are extremely creative and they're always coming up with the most outrageous stories and they can make up their own games and they can really have a blast like on their own. Yeah. And they don't really have the ability to execute much. <laughs> I don't know, maybe like Elon Musk or something, he was building his own rockets as a child, but for most kids, there seems to be a transition to being able to execute more. But then we have the problem that because most people go into the workforce to perform a specific task in a specific role, they lose a lot of that creativity. Some people may even say that the creativity is taken out of the education system, like on purpose. So it's really important for creators, at least, and I call creators could be artistic, could be just builders of technology to bring the creativity back in, like you really have to think outside the box to be able to do things that are different and push the boundaries. And a common thread that has come up with conversations with other people is that it can often be alienating to be in that mindset where you're like outside the box, pushing the boundaries, building something people before people understand what you're trying to build and before you can prove the use case or, or, or the thesis. So I think that making sure that these communities feel well connected and that they belong and then they can actually support each other along the way. It's super important. And I think that I definitely saw it at East Denver. It was, uh, I know I'm, I'm getting a bit dated, but that was the last conference I was able to attend. Miami looked sick as well, now near Austin. And once I get my, my citizenship sorted very soon, I've got a jam-packed calendar of conferences. Like NearCon in Portugal in September is going to be mad. In fact, I'm trying to find out 
who the right person would be to talk to, to get like a speaking gig. I reckon I could pull off a really good presentation. I'm, I'm open to emceeing. If you're listening to this and you're in charge of Neocon Portugal, reach out to me. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. I think I might know. <laughs> I don't know if I should say it though. So I guess I've said all that to you. I know that's why I'm telling you. <laughs> I know who you work for. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Cameron. No, he's actually great. He is great. Awesome dude. Yeah. I've yeah, got I the, really the like fondest him. memory. We met at East Denver in person for the first time. And it was a very busy day, lots of presentations and talks. And we ended up at a bar and then we went to a mezcal bar. And we're having tacos or tapas. I don't know. I was drinking like mezcal and slightly off my face. <laughs> so Cameron joined a bit too late in the evening and we're all like buzzing. <laughs> and he just got there with like his girlfriend and they're all chill. And we're like, let's go to a nightclub. And Cameron was like, I I think I'm going to have a quiet one. I, I need some sleep. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, he's a cool guy. I really, I've, I've really enjoyed working with him so far. Yeah, he definitely hustles like no one else. He's up there in hustling. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's a hustler. He's going to be here actually tonight. He's getting into Austin, apparently. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing. I'm actually just really excited to see everybody. Like, since, I guess, since NearCon um, last year. When was that? Like, October? It was. Yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to be in my city. That's so weird. Because <laughs> everyone, it's like, everyone's been going to different things everywhere. And now, like, everyone's coming to me and they're like, what are we going to do in Austin? You got to, you got to take me around, take me around. That is an excellent point because I think this would be a good time to make the distinction between the near Hacker House happening in Austin alongside with Consensus that is on June the 8th till the 12th. So depending on when you're listening to this baby slightly dated, but yeah. they're going to be Hacker Houses all over the world. And near Austin, as I understand it, is going to be a permanent presence in the city. So maybe you can help us understand the difference and what we can expect for near Austin long-term, especially if people like myself are on the digital nomad space or they're flexible to move around, should they consider spending some time in Austin? And is there going to be a community there to welcome them and help them achieve their goals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Near Austin is like city hub and we've been, we've been operating for about two months now, I would say like beginning like late March, our first event was at UT at University of Texas. And we had the Texas Blockchain Club there helped us like getting the securing the the venue like on on UT campus and brought some students in. And it was really cool. We had someone give us talk about like the new world of crypto. It was actually Ozzy. Ozzy. Ants Ozzy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know you do. Ozzy. Um, everyone knows Ozzy. All roads lead to Ozzy. <laughs> Yeah, so he was in town and he uh, he did a great presentation. So that was like our kickoff event. We were like, near Austin, we're here. Hi, everyone. Nice to meet you. And like introducing ourselves to the city. Our team is really small still. It's like five people, including me. And yeah, we've been doing meetups. The last two ones that we had were developer focused. So I had some... And your developers zoom in 
for basically like custom office hours because the normal NCD office hours are like at 9 a.m. our time or something. So I had uh, a different developer each week zoom in and do virtual office hours with us. And basically kind of, I did that to see who was interested in building on Near in Austin and who would want to participate in the Hacker House to be able to funnel some developers into that so that they can actually get more plugged into the greater like Near community. That's been what we've been doing. And I think we will continue, but we also have a few pillars, sort of how the Hacker House does, but like more long-term branches of the community we're trying to build. So one is obviously creatives and artists. Another one is like refi projects. Maybe having some kind of refi lab here, just working with like climate projects and environmental projects here. Because Austin is a very nature-centric city. There's a lot of places to swim. It's super like, there's a lot of outdoorsy, hikey, bikey, skate, skaters. There's, it's just, it's just a very- Oh, FOMO everywhere. I really <laughs> wish I was there now, especially because I am absolutely freezing in Australia. It is insane. This is probably one of the coldest winters I've experienced here and I've been here for 14 years. Although on the flip side, I think it's really hot in, in Texas now as well. Yeah, it's literally, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. It's, I think today is like the hottest day of the year so far. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating, but I felt like it. But yeah, so that's like another key aspect. Everybody's very, they care a lot about preserving the natural parts of the city. And there's a lake downtown, basically. So it's really integrated and embedded into like kind of the culture here to be outside a lot. And then the third one is just onboarding technical education, stuff like that. So that's what we've been doing with these developers. That's what we're doing with the Hacker House. But I also wanted to make sure we included other people who, you know, because it's great to focus on developers, but then sometimes when they're building these projects, they don't have the other components, like how to market the project or how to, like even just the creative, like artists being around and that's like creative energy, I think is like really valuable. Even just to talk to artists and get their feedback on things. I don't know how much you can talk about this. I know that, because you've told me, uh, I know that Near Austin falls on the Near US and there is a very strong focus at the Near Foundation level to push for regional hubs. There's a really good presentation from Grace on the latest uh, town hall. I'll make sure to include a link to the YouTube video with the town hall. A fun fact, I was watching the town hall and it's like an hour and 40 minutes. And now that I am a successful YouTuber, <laughs> I I got used to adding timestamps to my videos so that people know which section is which. I know my videos can be a little bit long, but that way people can just jump to whatever interests them. Mm -hmm. now, the bloody near town hall didn't have any timestamps. So in a slightly manic way, I just started taking note of the timestamps and posted them as a comment. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, this may be useful to someone. Was it for you or was um, it for just like the general public? Did you do it for your time? I posted the timestamps on the general comments so anyone can see them. And you can click on them even on the comment section. It's pretty cool. YouTube decentralized the timestamping situation, I guess. And the funny <laughs> thing is that the new official account liked it. And then they included <laughs> the timestamps in the description. So they show on the main video. So I guess what I'm trying to say is... You can go to the uh, May Town Hall and skip directly to the original hub section. But yes, I think that's a really interesting approach to try to empower all the local communities to really get activated. There's a strong emphasis on education, universities, you name it. One of the things that really catches my attention, just because I am a product person at heart, 
of the product labs. And what I really like is that to me, that just emphasizes that we don't need just developers. And I think that the near education team has been doing a great job at onboarding as many developers as possible. We've got very clear KPIs on how many developers we want to have, how many educators, et cetera. But also the full cycle of a product is so much more. And the inception of the product, which is basically all creativity, so to speak, and like people skills and user experience research, all the way to the go-to-market, who is your audience, how do you reach them, et cetera. So I think that there's a very wide skill set that overall is in very short supply in crypto, both because we're not really communicating very well that crypto projects need this. And I think that perhaps part of the journey would be to stop calling them crypto projects and to just refer to them as a normal product or service that has a Web3 component embedded into it. But also because people on the outside world don't really know that there's opportunities out there. And that's, I think, a major challenge that we have on expanding the scope of who is part of the community without the crypto. You mean prefix or? Yeah, without the crypto prefix. Thank you. Really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's definitely, it's interesting. I'm just like, I'm like, I've lived in Austin for a while and I have been a part of like different communities here, but I've never really made bootstrapped like my own community. Like I never really, I don't know. I know I, I wasn't ever, I was like, just like joining and, and morphing, but I was never like, oh, I have to be a founder in a sense. Like I have to like decide what the culture is going to be, decide how to execute the culture, decide who is going, who are good representatives of that culture, who are key partners who are going to align with the vision. They're just like all these elements that like, to me, it's like really fascinating. And I think that's probably because. I didn't think I was really capable of doing it, or I thought like I didn't have enough knowledge to do it, especially I'm not a technical person. So that was like a really, that, that scared me at first, but then I kind of started realizing it's more about, it's more about creating the spaces and creating the opportunities for people, other people to connect and get what they need versus me. I don't exist to give everyone in the community what they need because that's just not going to happen. But what I do. And what I, what my job is to like construct and, and help people like basically figure out what the gaps are and see how we can bring some kind of support to fill them or even just bridge them. So yeah, but I think that's what, that's what my whole job basically is. I think that highlights a fascinating tension between like doing things for yourself or I guess like a more independent mindset and then doing things for other people. And I think that in a paradoxical way, the balance is you have to be selfish in identifying, okay, what am I best at and where can I add the most value? Ideally in those places where you can add the most value, you can also get remunerated and just be successful both financially, but also you can feel what's the word. Like it's rewarding for me. Yeah, also the most rewarding for you personally. And then you start to see how that thing at which you're best and you can add the most value can be extended to as many people as possible. 
So in your particular case, and perhaps for me, I think we're very similar uh, personality types. The thing that we're best at is probably rallying around communities, having people skills, getting things together for communities. But you need to make sure that th there needs to be a balance there. Like I agree with you. I don't think that it would work if it requires you to sacrifice yourself in a way where you feel like you're being depleted personally to right. satisfy other people because that demand is always going to be there, but you're eventually going to burn out. And uh, yeah, I think that the flavor for growth is just to get the best people in the right positions, whereby them doing what they're best at fuels the next group of people. And ideally for developers, it's the same. If you're the best at coding, we want you to just focus on that, create the best environment for you, and then get the best marketers, and then get the best product people. And, and everyone should be in that sort of community. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this like metaphor I used to, and not, I don't know, like that, I guess I don't mean this in an arrogant way. Like I, this metaphor that I, it's like how I think of myself sometimes as like a river. And I feel like a river a lot too. And in like a lot of different ways, like in my family. A river as in the water flowing, yeah? Yeah, as in a river. Not the like, reaper as in the death. <laughs> no, no, a river, like moving water down a channel. And in that way, I feel like that's how I am in every scenario that like I am moving a certain way and I'm just like, people are, are able to go like this, like dip in. And then I also pick up stuff as I go. So as I just feel like I'm always kind of like in this fluid state of doing that. And I think that at times, like I have even, like, especially interpersonally, let myself get depleted and kind of gave too much. But I think in this position, like what I'm kind of like learning, I'm, I guess I'm like learning boundaries or something with it, because I do think I naturally want to be the one to provide it, whatever it is, like talking to people at our events and stuff, they're like, oh, I need this. And I have caught myself being like, oh, I can help with that. I can, or I can find someone to help you with that. And nine times out of 10, I can, but do I have the bandwidth to do that with every single person I talk to? No. Do I, do I always remember to follow up about every little, every single conversation? No. And so it, it, it's, you're right in this and I need to, and that's what I'm trying to do. I think with the team I'm building is have them, or I'm trying to choose people who have the same sense of like, same level of caring about like people just in general <laughs> and it being genuinely interested in like people's passions and like wanting to see like people's things come to life. And if, if you have that and you enjoy that as like a job, then you're like, that's pretty much it. It's like, if you have that sense of urgency to like want to help people make meaning then yeah then that's pretty much that's what i'm looking for i guess and people no that's awesome i think we may have actually been in a very similar position last year late last year where we were close to burning out yep to try to please people and to put it bluntly to make people look good about a program that they were pushing <laughs> which later they shoved us under the bus. And it was really confronting to realize that the moment you were no longer important or the moment you basically stopped producing work because you just were burning out, 
no one gave a shit. And that's when I realized if I'm going to do it, I have to do it for myself because everyone's there when they're going is good, but you're alone when things don't go well. So yeah, it's been really interesting to recalibrate everything to make sure that what you're doing, you're enjoying it, that you're connecting with people that you want to connect. And I think that is probably the best job you can have in the world if you can choose who you work with. I also get approached by a lot of people. They are launching. There's a lot of launches coming on near and they would like a YouTube video or to be on the podcast or just in general to have advisors. Uh, it, it could come in many different ways. And yeah, I'm both very mindful of not overextending myself, which I definitely have with some projects, especially minor projects. I'm really happy to be on their Discord and monitor what's happening. And ideally, I'd like to make YouTube videos for more people. I just don't have the bandwidth to create more. But yeah, it's always important to keep things in balance, like in the same way that you understand that you can create value for someone. I guess the best example would be I shouldn't be losing sleep because I know that I've got whatever 15 YouTube videos overdue because I know that team doesn't give a shit if I actually make the video. They're doing their thing and they'll find a way to market the product. And in the end, if it fails, it's their problem, really. Like, I shouldn't be holding myself to that standard where it is on me to, you know, bend myself backwards for everyone. And right. maybe a midway point is I'm starting to find a way. I'm trying to find a balance between actually charging for what I do. <laughs> I know crazy concept but oh it has to work that you'd actually do well you're an artist and i think that you may be able to resonate we really have to fight against the stereotype of the starving artist and creating art for the art's sake and just recognizing that if the art or your creative output has value in the world it's not necessarily bad to charge for it and if you are demanding the work, say, hey, I'm launching in one week. Can we have something created within the week? It's okay to charge for it. I don't know. I feel really uncomfortable because for me, I've always seen the YouTube and the and the podcast as part of the passion project category. And unfortunately, the people that sell content on crypto are so shit. Like they're shilling horribly. So it's like, well, how can you maintain the content integrity and just be honest and have fun with it? I don't really have an agenda for any podcast or for any YouTube video, but at the same time, I'm broke. <laughs> yeah. Uncomfortable. You're like, you're like, you're, I think I remember you saying this like last year at some point we were talking, you were like, there's nothing wrong. You told me this, you were like, there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with making money. And people, because I think we were talking about, yeah, like just some, like a bunch of drama that was going on. It was like, yeah, it was, I think when the Guildsburger was fizzling out, or at least our guilds, I don't know. I don't have, actually don't even know what's going on with the guilds program anymore. But at the time there was a lot of changes going on and it was just a little bit chaotic. And we were, yeah, like riffing on that. So we're just going to do a lot of work, but then like, people are going to get mad that we like are asking for money, like for our work. Yeah. I, I remember that conversation. I reached out to you directly, which is the way in which most 
tense conversations should happen. There was definitely way too much drama and conversations that didn't have a clear beginning or end and people that didn't really have a clear standing in the issue. And I think that the notion that we should be very mindful of how community funds are allocated is correct. And the notion that should be paying people for the work is also correct. And yeah, I, I guess it is here to give advice and to receive, of course, it's okay to make money. Like we are in an extremely competitive environment, blockchain wise, like I'm still trying to bring people over from Solana that I met at East Denver. I've successfully brought a few. Uh, there's a couple mm-hmm. of NFT projects we drew over. One of the guys that I met at Solana, hilarious, a coin-based cloud party. I basically had a bit of a stand-up routine. I was a little bit late. We were like on the floor, like roaring, laughing. Uh, this guy just got an offer uh, to join Pagoda as a developer. And that's awesome. money. Yeah. So I see that as my ROI. Can you bring people over and... Uh, the truth is, it's extremely competitive, the blockchain space, and any talent that you can get, if they're adding value, my equation is very simple. The value that would be lost if you stop paying them is more than what they may be charging. And you're going to always negotiate the dollar amount. The truth is, we did have an issue uh, with that program because the pay was set near and the price was wildly volatile. Some months it was maybe irrational to pay someone that much money the next month it was below what we would have done like minimum wage where we live that has been mitigated now the proposals go through with the dollar value and paid out in near you have the option to get paid in stable coins so all, all of these issues have been ironed out just to be clear and i think that is allowing for a bit more of that community traction to come back but yeah the notion of getting paid for your work is super interesting And you may even argue that is something that definitely sets apart the real NFT artists from the pump and dump PFPs. Because the real NFT artists still have some of those old notions of it just feels weird to get paid for your work or it feels weird to have it trade at such high volumes and such high valuations and the way that it is distributed. Like it's hard for them to reconcile, as you mentioned before, your friend with a mural, it's 10% creativity, uh, 90% work. It becomes work to, you know, to the distribution and the social media and the community. And then you have the real art. For PFP projects, it's the opposite. It's probably 1% creativity <laughs> and then 90% work because they've got a very well-defined, very ambitious target of how much money they want to extract from the community. And most of them, they're going to disappear within six months. I'm a bit cynical with uh, PFPs, but. I feel like that's, yeah, that's not like a very uncommon way to feel. I get that. I don't know. Someone, people have been asking me as an artist, like, how do you feel about NFTs or like whatever, like different trends and stuff. And I don't know. I think I, I got into this conversation with someone where I was like, no, we have to view it as, or I was like, at least I sometimes view it as like separate from the fine art industry like the white cube gallery kind of industry our market is different and then but then someone argued back with me and they were like it isn't it's it definitely is an evolution of i think it's more like there's an evolution in the sense of like the ownership and the way that 
it's actually made and then i don't know it's i I view it like separately sometimes but then i also think like i've seen some really beautiful art as an ft so i'm like that's i can tell that's not just like a pump and dump thing that's like something someone put like a lot of effort into but i don't know i think i'm of the line where if you're an artist or you consider yourself an artist and you make art and you want to make a living off of your art then nobody should be telling you what's right or wrong. Like you own your work and it's already like hard enough to be an artist. I think in the world, it's hard to be anyone who makes something out of their brain because <laughs> it, yeah, it just gets more vulnerable and a more of a fragile like position to be in in the world. And you're not necessarily like following formulas that already exist. You're like, you're making, you're making formulas. But the, the interesting thing there with me is that there's probably also a difference between being an artist, like an independent artist, you know, in the world. So you've got a studio in Austria and you're making art and being an artist within the crypto ecosystem. Because for some reason, and I'm trying to deconstruct in my head, what is the heuristic that artists think that being within the ecosystem I mean, obviously the ecosystem becomes a distribution channel for them. And then the question is, what can the artists do for the ecosystem and what can the ecosystem do for them? Like some of the Solana guys, some of them didn't sell out in a year. And they were like, oh, I reckon we would have sold out in Solana. And I was like, how much of that is the ecosystem size and the money and just like the culture of spending on certain things? And how much of it is it that your project was perhaps not up to standard? So I think that it's a really interesting question. I, I do like that Near is a very welcoming ecosystem for actual artists. Yeah. And if you want to use a, a very simple but often accurate standard for, for determining this, go to Mintbase. Mintbase has been an OG. I'm actually really excited to be interviewing Nate later this week, the, the Mintbase founder. Yeah. And they've been onboarding like proper artist communities like around the world for well over a year now, probably two years actually. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. I actually just bought a piece of art from uh, Mintbase. It's from the Capital Guild. Shout out to the Capital Guild in Nigeria. We gave them a small grant for the marketing DAO. And I, you know, doing my due diligence, I went to check out their store and I really liked this one piece. So I bought it, I think it was like a hundred bucks time worth of near and i didn't know that after i bought it they messaged me asking for my address there's a physical painting oh, of what thing that comes with the nft in a mail and they're like holy shit i think so and i feel terrible well, now because the shipping of that thing from nigeria to australia it's probably going to be more than what i actually paid for but anyway we'll figure it out with them okay. uh, but yeah it was a really cool example of I bought it without any expectations at all of reselling it. I just enjoy the art. I enjoyed supporting the artists. I enjoyed supporting the ecosystem. I think that Minbase themselves as a platform is super cool. Like they just updated the UI. I don't know if people know this, but they just raised $7 million. So they're expanding the team heavily and an additional $5 million for ecosystem grants. So they've got a ton of money to start kickstarting the next wave of projects and initiatives that's going to be really cool well is there somewhere people can apply for those or are they giving them like 
strategically or how is that? Yes. So I'll include the links on the comment section of the podcast, which by the way, I spend a ridiculous amount of time uh, writing all those show notes and I don't have any evidence that people actually read them. <laughs> I'll go. They're usually, yeah, they're usually hidden somewhere. That's why I explicitly say that something is going to be there, uh, both to remind myself as an edit, but also so people go looking. It's somewhere. Yeah. Um, all the- yes. So yeah. they do have the all the information about the grants on their GitHub, I'm pretty sure. I'll, I'll find the link and put it up there. And yeah, that's definitely a big opportunity. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's MitBase that's been working with Arosh Studios in Lisbon, I think. <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure it's them. I know that they've been like working with Nier at least. And I remember during NearCon, they had an after party. Or no. Was it NearCon? Yeah, it was. They had some after party and then Arosh had an after party too. They had like DJs. So I got to go check out that space. And that was my first inspiration for getting, I started having ideas when I started like forming the Austin community. So I was like, oh, this is so dope. The artist collective, the way it was like set up and they had this big warehouse where they had DJ, they had like live music every night. Like it was just like a really cool environment. And I was like, I want to do this in Austin. Like, I to be honest, I actually think you should really connect with the main space guys because I feel like there's a very strong overlap in ethos there. Like, as I read more and more, I've been doing heaps of research. It's a little bit embarrassing for me, but we've actually had to reschedule twice. First, there was a power outage. And second, I forgot. <laughs> We're all deeply flawed individuals. Uh, but yeah, I'll yeah. do more research. I just really like that Nate comes across and he's almost as cynical about the, the PFP NFTs as I am. And he left Ethereum for the same reasons. Like it was too expensive. They couldn't scale their business. And they've been very focused on building that core infrastructure. Like they've worked very closely with the near core team. They helped develop the NFT standard at Mintbase. It's described as like a Shopify for NFTs, so the Shopify of Shopify's that make it really easy for you to la- launch your own store. You control the smart contract. There's just so many things about it that I think are great. And then the other component to it is a cultural one. I don't want to miscategorize people, potentially defame it, but Nate looks like a classic raver. Like he just looks like he enjoys life, music festivals, the best thing that the live arts can offer and this is, I guess, influenced by the Mintbase involvement in music festivals. Like they've done great work. There was Wildeverse in mm-hmm. Germany last year. And I know they've done a few scenes and they've done them in really smart ways. Like I think for Wildeverse, the tickets were NFTs and then there were like beer NFTs that are redeemable, always with an aim of onboarding new people and showcasing the technology. So anyway, I think that they've got like a really nice cultural fit uh, at Lisbon in Portugal, where they're based. There's a lot of arts and there's a lot of that creative um, output. And I think that Austin could actually be a really nice uh, match. Yeah, I, I was like, I just remember my eyes were like little sparkling. I was looking around and I was like, there was like installations, there were studios. There, there were different studios for like different, like people had resident residencies there. There was like a, there was like a band that would rehearse in one of the studios and there's like visual artists. It was just like, so it was like a dream to me. I was like, this is, I want this like in my own town. Like I want to live here. <laughs> um, and interesting enough, that project 
Aurora Studios. They're one of the OGs. They, they really have been around for a long time. And the the quantity and the quality of the output, I feel like they've increased over time, at least my awareness of it. But let this be on the record. They would have been one of those projects that would have been or actually were criticized back in the day. It's basically been a bit of a nothing burger, a bit of bullshit. Like it was very easy for somebody criticizing that they were getting community funding to not be able to see and quantify like the output and how much value that was adding for the community. Really? That is something that you have to experience to be able to be like, oh, okay, I get it now. How much yeah. money we spent on this, it doesn't really matter. Like I can see the output now. If yeah. you're not creative, if you're not in that culture, if you're not in that community, it's impossible to see. And to just look at the dollar value and you're like, hmm, is that too much? Once you experience it, you're like, this is actually really cool. This is really special. It's not easy to put on. It takes a special group of people to create those experiences. And I think we're lucky to have them within the near ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that is a really good point. And especially like with us, with everyone being like in different places, like it's just so like global. That there's different things some people get to experience and some people don't and I, I don't know i feel like i like that like they're having nearcon again in portugal i know some people like wanted to have it in other places but i like that they're having it again this year there um because i don't know if they'll always have it there i'm not really sure i know that there's a big community there but because especially with covid and stuff going on and people couldn't make it i don't know i think it's going to be like special like cer certain people who didn't get to come who can come now and I, I just i feel like I'm like, almost, yeah, you, and I, there were a few other people too. I was like, where's so-and-so? Like, it just didn't like quite feel right. And it was super fun. Like, it was a great time and the energy was great, but it definitely, there were like, like little, like voids of people. And so I'm just like hoping that this year it'll be a little bit different and people who didn't get to have that experience will get to just to see like a different side, like seeing like artist communities like that. It's a different side of it. We don't really like, I feel like it's so, there's just so much like tech talk all the time. And so most experience at If Denver, and I know I'm made biased because I'm not technical. If Denver definitely has a very strong builder ethos. Some people were actually hacking. I don't think I attended many talks, if at all. I may have attended all the two that Jordan did for a year. It was very much an opportunity to like meet and network with people. And I met some amazing people and there's been some amazing opportunities coming out of it. That's why I really like the focus of the hacker houses around it being a social experience. It is welcoming for everyone. And then you structure it in a way where you maximize the number of encounters that people can have and the experiences they can share. And basically, even if you're an introvert or if you don't know anyone or whatever the case may be, I think that it's just easier to start bonding with people through all these different activities. Now, I'm going to be the adversarial host. And just politely mention that I don't think that Hacker House, if we take, were to take the name literally, I don't think that's quite what we're organizing. Like in my mind, a Hacker House is, hey, let's just get a huge house and we live together while working on projects. So for instance, I was looking at having Hacker House, say whatever, in Portugal, Spain, and you know, Rin, Michael. Anyone really could come and stay there for, say, four weeks. And, like, we live together. And that would probably be a really good reality TV show. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just really curious to see how... I know that you inherited this just Hacker House concept. 
I'm just really curious to see how you see that evolution of the term. I know that we probably also inherited that from the Solana people, which were probably the first ones to misappropriate the Hacker House term to just host like a mini conference for one week. Is there going to be like a house at all in Austin or do people have to sort out their own accommodation and then you guys do all the ancillary activities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was actually like a, a few people gave the same like critique and hearing it from like the Solana Hacker Houses and then not even becoming what like far away from what I guess it originally was the meaning of it but yeah a few people were like we could we should have called it something else like we should have been I guess more original or something and I agree I think we could have come up with a different kind of name for the concept that we're doing but in Austin it is going to be in a house and so all, all the people that are coming that are attending won't be staying there though it will be it'll be like the core team that's coming in town to either help with it or yeah like mostly like volunteers and like our team like will stay there but the people who come from the community it's too many and we can't host all the people that are actually coming so in, in that way yeah it's not like we selected like these uh, small web developers to come and stay in a house for however long and it's like right a lot of like hacker house in and like conference and usually mentorship and networking and stuff because at least for the one in Austin we're doing, we're like actually having people build that at the actual house versus when it was in Miami, when it was like split up between locations. So yeah, like people aren't going to be staying there outside of the near Austin team and some people that are coming to volunteer, but the will be more hack like hackathon centric. And then with these other few panels of educational and community building and marketing and some create some creative things fixed in. Yeah. The other reason why I mentioned it is because some people may have noticed the near notes on one of the NFT communities. They have on the roadmap a hacker house in collaboration with Near Misfits, my NFT project, the first generative NFT project on near the only legit month marketing. <laughs> and it's interesting because there may be an issue with near hacker house as a term now being taken. Obviously, this is a brand and a community being built around it. It's going to be a series of conferences or events with a similar format around the world. There may be a clash there with having a hacker house where it may be a much, much smaller community. And obviously, I get into the trade-off. Doing it this way, it's just one week. It's jam-packed with activity. You're building. It is much easier for people to organize for one week. And then they go back to their normal life. I guess the amount of people that would fall under the group or the cohort of being flexible enough to spend a month or more just traveling around the world to physically stay with someone is much smaller. That's always mentioned. Maybe like Rin, Michael, myself. It's a much smaller group. It's hilarious that when I have calls with the Metapool team, they all have kids. And sometimes the kids join our meetings and I know all of their kids. And with some VCs, they have kids, like you're much more grounded, <laughs> like you've got roots in a city and you can't just take off for a month in Mallorca. But yeah. if you can, I think there's definitely like a really interesting customer segment there or an opportunity people in a house, but make it super fun. If you can work from anywhere in the world, let's just. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think like. With this, there, there is definitely like the original concept, it's straight from the original concept. 
I think for me, for the one in Austin, because I'm basically one of the head like event leaders, it was like important to me that it was like still in a house, at least so some of us could stay there, like some of the team, like just to have that kind of like, I don't know, like camaraderie, like team building kind of thing. And then also I wanted something that like, I really wanted was to actually have a lot of like developer focused like office hours and things like that. So there's actually like people like building and working on these bounties and working on their own projects and getting like hands-on advice, help people to walk through different examples with them. Because a lot of people are new to, to Rust, they're new to building on year, but they're like super eager to do it. So I'm just really trying to push for that kind of support for the community here. Guys, I'm super pumped. I, I really wish I was there. In some ways, we squeezed this in as a last minute like promo rush. In some ways, it's just me manifesting my FOMO and be like, look, if I can't be there, at least I want to feel like I'm involved somehow. But I'm really excited for what you're doing. Do you have any numbers that you can share of how many people have registered uh, loosely? Are they coming interstate, international? Any interesting data like that uh, that you may have so far? Yeah, as far as locate, like where people are coming from, I I don't know if I have as much. I think it's probably mostly people within the U.S. um, is what I've noticed. But I think about we have about 150 like attendees signed up and we have 200 people on our Telegram right now. So I don't know. I think I've been trying to get the message out that you had to sign. You actually had to sign up to be to receive like the emails of the actual address of the house to receive the link to admit your NFT pass, your attendee pass to actually show at the door. I'm trying to emphasize that because I just, I was a little bit worried that people just would walk off the street since there's so many events going on. Um, Just like, oh, that one's, it's free to go there and then just come, not crash, but I was just a little bit like, I don't want so many people that didn't, don't even know what this is to be showing up. So I was trying to be more strategic about, okay, these 140 something people, I'm going to email them directly and tell them where the house is, they're the ones that are showing like the most interest in following up and trying to get more information. So those are the people that I I targeted and I haven't been posting everything like that, like those details, like publicly. So yeah, so we, I think it's about, I don't know if we'll have that many, like every day. I know consensus starts on the ninth and our, and the, our first day is the eighth. So We might have some more folks on Wednesday and then I don't know, we'll we'll see how it goes. I think the weekend should be pretty, pretty good attendance wise, but, but yeah, that's what we're working with right now. We have, I think we have about maybe eight sponsors and like 15 or so partners that are basically, they've, we call them ecosystem partners and they've basically signed up to partner with us, providing something like bringing more people of color into the to the hacker house or bringing more women developers or helping with the marketing promotion and things like that it's been really cool to get to work on it like together it's not just it's not hasn't been just our team it's like the whole like spread across like the near ecosystem people are like have their hands in it from behind the scenes so that's awesome i am really looking forward to see is there going to be much events live streamed or is there any way that people like myself that are not there that we can stay on top of things? Are the bounties open to people anywhere in the world or do they have to be at the near Austin? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I didn't make the a good question. I didn't. I should know because I sponsored the Metaphor Bounty and... <laughs> 
I am not aware what the selection criteria is. Oh, I am inclined to think that. I think I thought I remember what with the Miami ones. I'm pretty sure they announced them. They could be digital as well. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that if there are good entries from around the world, especially hybrid teams, like some people may be there, but their teammates may. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was a question that we we sent out like a follow up form. And that was something that we asked people was like, do you have a team already? And are they all going to be here or some of them away or out? You're, are you going to be the representative basically like of your project? And some people do have like teams digitally or virtually that they can work with as well. So I want to say yes, that, that makes the most sense to me. I was actually not really the one that did the bounties and sponsorships. I just, I interface with people, but I just fed them to actually minority programmers is helping us as well with the awesome, like similar to what their role in the Miami Hacker House was. I am very mindful of your time, especially as at the time of recording, we're only a handful of hours away from the kickoff. All the action and the energy is going to be converging down in Austin. Unless we have anything else to add or to shield, I think we'll let you go. And I just want to say that I think it's hilarious. We had a call a couple of days ago. I thought it was hilarious. Like I gave you the option to have the podcast beforehand to promote or afterwards to have like a wrap up. <laughs> and you're like, let's do one beforehand just in case it all goes to shit. <laughs> so I am actually very optimistic. I highly doubt that this is going to be anything other than a success. Although we did mention that. There's a very large gap between what you planned for and what may actually happen. So as an organizer, you may be aware of all these fuck-ups, but as an attendee, you still have a fantastic time because you never even found out what was meant to be going on. So, <laughs> yeah. That's comforting. Thank you. <laughs> Good reminder. <laughs> yeah, you're always welcome back for the deep brief. And yeah, I guess just a really quick shout out all the near hubs around the world. I'd love to get as many people here to share what they're doing in their own region. I think we spoke briefly um, last time that near LA is starting to pop up. And uh, there's, of course, a new regional hub in uh, Kenya. And yes. I'm really trying to reactivate the community here in Australia, New Zealand. Let's see how that goes. I believe in you. You can do it. I did want to say the uh, we are planning to near hub is a partner, the metaverse near hub online. So they are, they've been building a virtual hacker house experience for us to be able to stream some of the presentations and panels into, into the metaverse. Look forward to that. I will stay tuned because I'm going to put out some teasers about it and then we'll eventually, we'll put the link up so that people who aren't present can access it via that link. But yeah, stay tuned. That is amazing. Shout out yeah. to Nearhub. I actually love what they're doing. They actually created a, a room for us, the Near Misfits, which I feel like it's been grossly underutilized. And they recently had a workshop with Logathon guys, a hackathon in here in Australia that we sponsored. And yeah, just around the tooling to create those worlds. So mm -hmm. really looking forward to see the Nearhub one. I'll definitely be attending Austin, it seems, on the metaverse. And I'll make sure to share some resources if people are interested in creating their own metaverses. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. Chloe, it's been a pleasure. Anything else we'd like to mention at this stage? I think that's it. I have to go schedule some catering for the next few days. <laughs> so I'll let you go to make sure that no one starves during the event. <laughs> Too easy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
And now, our usual reminder that if you've listened this far, you are an absolute legend. Also, everything on this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall be construed as financial or any type of advice, really. If you are in doubt, always consult a licensed professional. And lastly, thanks so much for your support. I really appreciate it. We've got a small but very dedicated and loyal listener base growing, I shall add. And I am incredibly grateful to all of you. Honestly, I love you all. (laughs) I can't wait to keep making more content and I'll see you on the next episode. We've got a few banger guests lined up so you won't be disappointed. See you all.